Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Actually, good for you to see me. I'm glad that you're here. This week's been a very interesting week. We've heard from some of our different folk that we have individuals listening from New England all the way to Arizona, and a number of you have invited some friends from from businesses and neighborhoods to be joining in whose churches aren't doing live streaming. So if you're one of those individuals across the nation or live streaming with us because somebody invited you this morning, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it that you joined with our own church church family as we are doing Bible studies. We're going to do one during this session, and in fact, the notes that I sent out, I had said initially that we're going to be doing a John 11 in the second session. We're going to do that now, so you want to change your notes, and then we'll do the Matthew 20 in the next session. Those of you who are first time joining, we, uh, we do a 9.30 session, which is a little bit longer in our Bible study. Then at 10.30, we'll do another session, and that one will include some videos, including a children's video for the kids, and that'll be a part of our morning service, and in that service will be in Matthew 20. But for our Bible study this morning, why don't you join me in John chapter 11. It's a familiar passage to a lot of you folk. A lot of you could do a better job just explaining it, teaching it than I would, but I appreciate the opportunity to have the privilege to be able to communicate some lessons that were on my heart that I wanted to share with you this morning from John chapter 11. Let's read the text, then let's get into our thoughts, okay? God's Word says this, John 11. Starting with verse 1. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Martha and her sister, of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then, after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples said unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone you, and goest thou thither again? He answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbles not, because he sees the light of this world. But a man walks in the night, he stumbles, because there is no light in him. These things said Jesus, and after that he said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him out of the sleep. Then said the disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest in sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, or the twin, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave for four days already, that is, Lazarus. Now Bethany was near unto Jerusalem, about fifteen furlongs off. And many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary still was, sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. She said, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus 
I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had said so, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master is come and calls for you. As soon as Mary heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but it was in that place where Martha met him. The Jews then, which when they saw her, the Jews which were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw Mary, that she rose hastily and went out, they followed her, saying, She goes unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was, she saw him, she fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, Behold how he loved Lazarus. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, comes to the grave. It was a cave. A stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by, the time, by this time he stinks. He's been in the grave for four days. And Jesus said, Said I not unto thee that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? They took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you hear me always, but because of the people which stand by, I have said that they may believe that you have heard me, or has sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him, let him go. This is a wonderful story, but the reason I wanted to talk about it is I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those times when it's just a really, really bad day? It's one of those days that you say, I shouldn't get out of bed. Let me give you some illustrations of some of that idea. Here we go. This bike rider was having a really, really bad day, and maybe some of you have had those types of experiences. This individual had a bad day when they picked up the wrong spray to spray their lawn. Here's a picture of an individual or a news report that says kindergarten student spends the entire day at the wrong school. I, I'm not sure who had the worst day. The teachers who didn't, who didn't notice they had a new student or the student or the parents, whatever it may be. So you do a work project and you put it all together, but it's inaccessible. Or what's worse, you drive the car into the garage without opening the door. A bad day is a woman who had a porcupine fall out or uh, um, yeah, a porcupine fall out of the tree and hit her on the head, leaving her with all these different quills stuck in her, in her scalp. Bad day could be worse than that, having your head stuck in the bus doorway. Bad day, you get the paint at Lowe's, take it home, and by the time you get it home, it's really shook up all over inside the car. Or, what nice picture, a woman sits down on this wonderful bench, looks so bright, but you see the bottom right-hand corner? She's sitting in wet paint. Bad day, I don't have to say anything on this one. It just speaks for itself that that poor woman standing there and seeing her car, or this guy doing a stunt trick and all of a sudden losing the back wheels of his device, terrible situation. Or worse yet is, who's going to have the worst bad day? The kid on the ground 
or the parents when they find out what's happened to their son because he put himself in a bad spot. I feel sorry for this individual. He says, I was proposing to my girlfriend and I dropped the engagement ring down a gopher hole. Or you have this one. Somebody trying to pull a stump or part of rock out of their yard. Well, they get it out, but it ends up in the back end of the vehicle. Or you have this situation. This poor little kid went fishing, caught the fish, but the fish is absolutely scaring the daylights out of the poor child. He's having a really bad day. Here's an individual, another individual who wants to take rest and comfort and decide to put his hammock up. Youch! Okay? So much for having a nice, restful afternoon when all of a sudden the thing collapses on you. It happens. People have bad days. John 11 is a bad day for a family in a serious sense. All those are humorous as we think about it. But in John chapter 11, you have Mary and Martha who are having a terrible situation. Their situation is very dire. It is something that some of you have gone through when all of a sudden you faced an illness or you faced a death. Let's set the scene and let's draw some lessons. Setting the scene, we are within the last few weeks of Jesus' ministry. I mean within the last month, few weeks, that he is going. Jesus is already been, been very much aware that the Jewish leaders want to kill him. When he has made his previous trip down into Jerusalem just recently for, the, for festivities, they tried to stone him. And they determined that everybody, anybody, should warn them where Jesus is, notify them so that they could get Jesus. That's why he went out of the area and went to an area that we call Bethbara, which is a distance away on the other side of the Jordan River where it was in what some would call the wilderness area, outside of the control, the rule of those Jewish Sanhedrin leaders that in Jerusalem tried to stone him and they wanted him arrested. So Jesus has gone into that area where he used to be involved with John the Baptist, doing a number of baptisms, and there he is residing, just kind of camping out, laying low, if you would, at that point. That's when Mary and Martha send word to him saying that their brother Lazarus is really, really ill. Now, we've already read that when they send, they don't ask him to do anything. They just inform him that Lazarus is really sick. And yet when he comes, they ask, you know, they make comment, if you had been here, if you had been here. So they assumed he would do something. Jesus' response to the messenger that came to him was just basically this. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Now, just on a totally aside, this has just spoken volumes to those many who are in our contemporary society, in Christian circles, who talk about this whole idea of healings. That God, it's not God's will that anybody be sick. Or the reason that people have sickness is due to a lack of faith. Jesus has just said that's absolutely not true. What he teaches and what some of those modern faith healers teach are contradictory to one another. Jesus says that illness can come into our life for the glory of God, that he allows it. He did in Lazarus's case to work out some tremendous benefits out of that sickness in working in the lives of the believers as well as unbelievers. Believers. So not all illness is, a, is just because of your lack of faith or punishment of God. Sometimes God brings it into our life to benefit us, to help us, to help us to grow. And so Jesus' comment is very insightful. But 
if you were Mary and Martha and you get the messenger that's gone and messenger comes back and says this to you, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. By the time you get this message, when you put all the different dates of how they, Jesus got the message and then he delayed and he's, the messenger comes back. By the time that the, that the messenger comes back and says to Mary and Martha, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Lazarus has died. How do they figure that? How do they, how do they respond to that? Did Jesus make a mistake? What did he mean this isn't unto death? Lazarus has just died. And then they bury him and it's four days later when Jesus shows up. And so Jesus' response to the situation, to the to bad event that Mary and Martha and could cause them some confusion. In fact, he doesn't even tell the disciples the news. If you read what we had, look at what we just read moments ago, it says he gets the message and he doesn't say anything for a couple days to the disciples. He doesn't tell them about Lazarus. And so he purposely delays two days in Bethbara before he heads back to Bethany where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. And uh, he announces to the disciples after two days, we're going to go back to Judea. Judea is right close to Jerusalem where they just recently tried to stone him and they have a warrant out for his arrest uh, unofficially telling people to turn him in. The disciples respond. If you remember, they said, Lord, they just recently tried to kill you. That's, you're putting yourself in a dangerous situation. And so they're a little bit hesitant. They don't understand why Jesus wants to do that. So that is when Jesus says to the disciples, yeah, our friend Lazarus is, uh, is seriously ill. He is sleeping. I go to help him out to raise him from the sleep. And so as he's explaining his purpose for him, they just, he makes comment, I raise him out of sleep, and uh, they don't understand. They assume that what this means is that Lazarus is seriously ill, he's resting, so then he's okay if he's sleeping. But Jesus has introduced a new euphemism. He and that the New Testament picks up on sleeping and death, that whole idea that the body is asleep even though the soul is alive. And so Jesus has introduced that it's going to be used later on about the idea of death being a form of sleeping. And so uh, Jesus responds and says he sleeps and he's sleeping and the disciples, they're confused. They don't understand. So Jesus responds and says immediately he's dead. And so I go to raise him from the dead or I'm sorry, he doesn't say it that way. Just he has said, I raise him from the sleep. They don't understand. He says he's dead. And so then the disciples respond, well, then we'll go with you. If you're going to put your life on the line, we're going to go and put our life on the line. What I want you to observe is that the disciples are not these super saints that get everything. That right away it, it all makes sense. Sometimes you read the Word of God, I read the Word of God. Sometimes we go through experiences and we, we just don't understand. We, it, it confuses us. Sometimes uh, when we did Grief Share, some of the lessons that brought up, and it was to help people to understand normal responses to death is you get those wave of emotions. It might hit at this time or, or another time, totally unexpected, and, and that it is normal and natural to grieve. And, and you and I say, well, wait a minute. Strong, strong saints, they don't grieve. Well, Jesus even wept. And his disciples sometimes were confused. They didn't fully understand the way sometimes we don't fully understand. And I look at the passage and say, okay, here's what is sometimes normal for us. He wants us to grow, but it does happen. Sometimes we have hesitations. 
Sometimes we're afraid of circumstances. Sometimes like the disciples who said, well, if we go to Judea, we're, we're uh, clo- Judea, by the way, Jerusalem and Bethany are two miles apart. So going to Bethany is going to put Jesus very, very close proximity to the Jewish leaders. That's why they're hesitant. And so sometimes we have situations that cause us hesitancy because of the threats, the dangers, the problems, whatever happens. But at the same time, there's a devotion in these disciples. Let's go. But we'll die with him. You ever, you ever run into the individuals? I'm going to serve the Lord, but I'm convinced it's not going to work out well. Well, that's Thomas. And Thomas has, has that idea that I'm going to serve, but we're going to die in Jerusalem. He's totally convinced of that, where he makes that comment that we already read in verse 16. They, um, they, they have questions. They wonder. Um, in fact, even Mary when we read, read later, when Jesus shows up in Bethany and Martha meets him, then Mary meets him. Remember, Mary is the one who's commended for sitting at the feet of Jesus. She seems to have some insights when she anoints his feet better than, than the others because she anointed him unto his burial. But even she had some questions about why this was happening, why this trial, what this difficulty. And it comes out in the story. You know, Jesus loved him, and and yet this happened to him. And and he loved Jesus, and yet it happened to him. Uh, You know, why didn't Jesus heal right away the first time? Sometimes we expect that. Lord, if you love me, why do we get trials? Lord, if, uh, if I've prayed about something, why didn't you answer it right away? Questions. The ladies, you know, basically implying, if you had been here, underlying that is the question, why didn't you come? Why didn't you respond? Why did you let us go through this as long as you did? In fact, we would ask the question, why did he delay? Why did he purposely choose not to say anything, not to do anything for two more days? We would expect that things would happen quickly because we are a microwave society, that everything should be done quickly. We, we expect a pandemic to disappear within a matter of days instead of weeks or maybe months. And so Jesus, you know, they could have asked him, what did you mean? This sin is not, un- uh, this, uh, this illness is not unto death when all of a sudden he died by the time the message comes back. There's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, confusion here, a lot of, lot of dis- uh, uh, misunderstanding. And, and they're revealed by the comment that keeps on coming, if only you, if only you. And they're not the only ones that think that way. We often have several questions. We wonder about God at times. Why does God do what he does? This is a time where a lot of us are wondering, you know, why is America afflicted? We're, so, we're this nation that of all the nations, and why did it happen to us? We, we wonder, where is God right now? We wonder why it hasn't ended right now. We, we wonder, you know, why do believers even suffer? I, I know that the comment often is that this is, you know, many are saying this is a judgment of God upon the nation. Well, then that causes the question, well, why did God's children, some of God's own people, some that you know, I know, some of our relatives or your relatives who have gotten this, who love the Lord, and, and wonder why they're afflicted with this virus. Um, you know, Lord, if you love us so much, why aren't things normal? Why don't things just go back to the way they were immediately? And so there's lots of questions. There's lots of confusion. And there's lots of, uh, of, of just you know, wondering about what the Lord has done. So this text has some good message for us this morning. John chapter 20 says that the writer has picked out several miracles, several signs in the gospel of John to help build faith. 
to help to, to increase faith to those that believe in the Lord. We read that in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. In this text, Jesus even makes the comments to his disciples when he says in verse 15, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you might believe. They're already born again. They're already following Jesus. It is an idea of increasing their faith, that they might have more faith in God in the middle of something that is very challenging. They're going to need this in the days ahead. And so why did Jesus say allow Lazarus to experience death? To build the faith of his disciples. To help them to grow. As well, he even asked Martha, do you believe me? She's saying, I believe you, I believe you, I, I, I believe in the resurrection. He says, but do you believe me? Do you really believe me? So this story is not only for unbelievers to see the greatness of Christ in the resurrection, but it's for believers to build our faith. So we make good decisions in situations where we have lots of questions, in situations that are very challenging, that are very threatening, that, that create a lot, of, a lot of emotions, whether it's grief or it's angst. And so this passage can speak to you and me and help us to just settle down and think through the lessons and that which will help us to have more faith in Jesus Christ in the middle of the difficulties. And so that's what I want to focus on for the remainder of our time is what, what do we learn in this text? What does this text do for us? And then not only to learn it, but to act upon it. There's a true story that I shared with you several years ago about uh, Jeff Patton, who's a lieutenant colonel of flight, um, who was flying in the desert storm, and he was uh, accompanying some others as, as providing defense for some other United States of, uh, Air Force uh, planes that were up in the air. And all of a sudden he realized through his, through his devices that he was locked on by some of the anti-aircraft defense mechanisms. So in order to miss one of those missiles that was shot at him, he all of a sudden veered real quickly. When he veered real quickly, he threw his senses off for just a moment. He thought, and by the way, this was pure dark. They did it, if you remember, that when they did this initial attack, they did it on a certain day where there was no moon, total darkness. And so he's flying at night in this mission when they started the attack, and he's veered off, and in the blackness, he can't figure out where he's at. He feels like he's in a climb. His instruments are warning him he's in a steep descent. And he's going to crash if he goes. And so he records how in that moment he's thinking, yeah, but my senses tell me I'm climbing. But the instruments tell me I'm crashing. And he has to make a decision. He makes the decision to follow the instruments and not his own feelings. And as a result, he all of a sudden comes out of that steep descent, which was the reality actually. And within three seconds, if he hadn't done something, he would have crashed. And so, all, and so by, by his quick thinking to just rely on the instruments, he was able to save his own life as well as go on to do other missions. Listen, you and I need to believe the facts that are before us because sometimes our feelings throw us off. And sometimes our doubts throw us off. What are the facts in this story that can help build your faith at this moment? There are three of them. 
Let's, let's highlight them just quickly. The three facts that are, that are major to this story is this. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. What does he know? Well, let's recount in the story what we've seen so far. Jesus knows that not all trials are bad for us. This is for the glory of God. Jesus knew that. Jesus made it very clear in this text when he makes that comment in verse 4, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified. He knows not all trials are really, really, really evil or punishment. And he knows how to use them in our lives by, for doing some good in our lives. Verse 15, I am glad to the, to the disciples... I am glad for your sakes I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. He knows this. He knows where we need to grow. He knows where we have a weakness, where we have a struggle. And so he knows what trial he can use in our lives to meet a need in our lives. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's trust. Maybe it's develop a prayer life. Maybe it's just let the world slow down and let you get really close to me. Whatever the, whatever the difficulty, Jesus knows what's best for us, how to use it. He knows exactly how to build us in the time. He knows what's going on in our lives. He knows in Lazarus's case, though he is miles away, he knows his condition at all times. He is totally aware of what's going on. And when he makes the comment in verses 9, 10, where he says, that idea, are there not 12 hours in the day? If any man walks in the day, he stumbles not. He is basically saying, now is the best time to go and minister to Lazarus. He knows the timing of when there's going to be the best response when we have been in a situation long enough that we will finally listen. He knows. He knows when his hour is at hand. He knows when it's good to go to Lazarus. He knows why to delay. In fact, in this case, it's very clear in this story that to delay is better for the disciples than answering right, right away. Why doesn't God always answer our prayer immediately? Because he may know that the delay in answering helps us to trust him more. The delay in answering helps us to evaluate whether we really need this. Our Lord is very wise. He knows exactly what is needed. He knows the outcome beforehand. He knows as well the spiritual condition of everybody present. His disciples later on at the end of the story. He says where we read already. But because the people that stand by. I say that they may believe that you have sent me. He knows that there are other people there at that graveside that will see Lazarus come out of the tomb who are yet to be born again. And he even makes the comment that in verse 45, that many of the Jews which came to Mary and they had seen the things which Jesus did, they believed on him. He knew their condition. He knew that this would work in the hearts of those unsaved people to bring them to belief. Though they have heard the gospel, though they have, heard, they have encountered him in the past, he's visited that home, he's been in that village multiple times, he's been in nearby Jerusalem, he, the, the popularity of Jesus, they've heard of him, but now they come to belief. Why? Because he knew that this was going to be an event that would work in their hearts. So Jesus knows everything. He knows how to use situations to the best in our lives as well as other lives to bring glory to God. He is all wise. He is all knowing. He knows what's best and he even knows 
what words to give us to help us in the trial. The words that this is not unto death. This is for the glory of God. The words when he comes to Martha and he says and talks about the resurrection. And I am the resurrection. And he says, do you believe? And she says, I really do believe. He knows what to say. He knows what to do. He is fully aware. Several years ago, there, there is a situation. I'll tell you a story in a moment. Let me just pause and remind you of this. God knows for our case. God knows what is happening. God knows what is best in the situation to help us to grow. God knows where you and I need to grow right now, why we're in this situation where it's, you know, it's, it's causing a lot of tension or it's causing a lot of angst. It's trying our patience. God knows. God knows what he's, what he's allowing. God knows what is needed to get people's attention. God knows that maybe, maybe a, lot of the, the, a lot of the things in our lives that had become idols, that had all of a sudden mis, taken God's place, God knew how to take some things away from individuals to get their attention, whether it be the sports, whether it be all the different extracurricular activities. God knows just how to slow things down just to trust. I... I, I I still think this is what one of the reasons the Lord is uh, allowing this for me is as I shared with some of our missionaries and in conversation I shared with you a little bit ago uh, in, in just some correspondence just saying, you know, they're asking how things are going, how things are going. And my response is, well, right now all we're doing is praying, preaching, praying, preaching. We can't do all these other programs. Wow, God may have known we needed that. Just to slow down and say, wait a minute, what is the priority for ministry? What is the priority for the church? To be hungering, focusing on the Word of God, be praying, be encouraging one another. And though those other ministries and programs are beneficial and they help us to achieve our purposes, God knows. God is, God is not caught off guard. We need to listen to Him. As I started saying a moment ago, in 1988, in the Winter Olympics, they did Olympics for blind skiers. Now, that would be interesting. And in each one of those cases, they had another professional skier who could see right behind them, telling them, turn here, turn left, lean. Now, this, this is what's coming up. What, and the individuals in this Olympic competition had to respond accordingly to what they were hearing. You and I need to listen to the voice behind us. The one that is telling us how to respond, what we should do, and that's the voice of the Lord. And he knows exactly what we need to hear. He knows exactly what we need to do. Listen to him. God knows. There is a second fact out of this text, and it is this. God cares. God cares. I know that in the middle of death, this is a, often a thought, where, doesn't God care for me? He does he really cares. In the middle of trial, people will ask, well, doesn't God care? He really does. He really does care. Let's take the most serious situation, a death situation. And it's very clear in this story, Jesus cares. It's seen in multiple ways. All of a sudden, you have multiple times it's brought up. The author, the writer wants us to know Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary and Martha. He loved them. It's stated in verse 3. It's stated in verse 5. Even the city people who see Jesus at the tomb, they say, oh, he loved Lazarus so much. There is no doubt 
Jesus cares. And even though Lazarus experiences death and illness, even though Mary and Martha experience the pain, the author wants you to understand Jesus cares. He absolutely loves them. It's not only in the words that are used, but shown by the fact Jesus shows up. Folk, remember the setting. The disciples even said, if we go there, our life is threatened. They recently wanted to kill you. The point that the author wants us to understand is, Jesus cares enough that he is willing to show up. He is willing to come to Lazarus' assistance, even though it could be threatening to Jesus. He cares. He cares enough that, that in the fact that he has emotions that are displayed. Shortest verse in the Bible we already read, verse 35, Jesus wept. Okay, there's a little bit more to that. The story gives a little bit more of a, uh, of a description of how he felt. If you back up to the previous verse or two. It talks about when, in verse 32, when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down. Remember, she, verse 33, the others who were with her, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also who came with her, followed her, also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, he was troubled, he wept, and we get that idea that Jesus himself, verse 38, is groaning in himself. What's that all tell us? Well, if we, if we look at the wording that is used in, uh, in, in the setting, according to Jewish custom and culture, in their Mishnah, their rules for daily living, whenever somebody died, even the poorest of persons, they're supposed to hire at least three people. Two people to play some of the flutes that would be a mournful type of uh, accompanying music. And at least one female wailer. Somebody who could give that high-pitched wailing sound so that there was expressed sorrow. So how many were there hired? How many were involved who were friends and they didn't need to hire somebody? We don't know. But we know that at least some are there. Giving, giving at least some of this musical background, some of this vocal background where they are wailing. And Jesus even sees them following Mary when they come to meet him. And so when he sees this, he's groaned, and the word literally means like an animal snorting in anger or being upset. He's groaned, he's getting upset, he was troubled, and then it says he wept. Okay. Now, his weeping is different than some of the others. His is more of a quiet weeping, not that outward wailing that was so public. But Jesus was weeping internally and groaning. Why is he so upset? Here, I, I don't know. Okay. Here are some of the possibilities. Is he upset over the emptiness of the wailers? That some of these were just doing the show. It was the cultural thing and they didn't mean it. Did, did he get upset because of the hopelessness of the, of the people? That so many people here are, they don't understand. You, you've been there, I've been there. We've gone to funeral services where, yes, I understand getting upset when I hear the message that doesn't give people hope or doesn't give them biblical truth. It doesn't even tell them about that person's, where they're at or how they can know they're going to heaven. That frustrates me. That upsets me. I'm troubled in the spirit. I understand that groaning at some of those moments. Is that what Jesus is doing? Or is it because Jesus is troubled, he's upset because of the consequences of death? He is seeing how death affects people and it bothers him. And he's coming to put an end to death, remember. But at this time, he has yet to die on the cross and provide the victory over death. And eventually he will come and remove it. But at this time, 
Mary and Martha and Lazarus are suffering the consequences, the pain, the agony, the, the effects of sin. And it's a disease that he says, I know it's going to be destroyed and it bothers me. He's, he's moved like the physician who is motivated to find a cure for a pandemic. Is that, is that what's happening? Is he moved by, by the, the situation as a whole or what his friends are going through? Is he, is he upset by the lack of understanding of everybody who is present? Some suggest he's upset because he knows he's going to be calling Lazarus back from where Lazarus is in paradise. My friend, I don't know. You don't know. We can surmise and we can say, well, I think. Good for you. You can think that. But the reality is we aren't sure, we aren't told, but we know Jesus was emotionally moved at this moment. Moved enough that even others commented on it that said, oh, wow, he, is, he really cared for Lazarus. Moved enough that he demonstrates for us that at this time, even godly people are emotionally moved when there's death. Please don't put guilt on somebody. Don't feel unnecessary guilt when you face a serious situation, a loss, and you have some pain. You have some weeping. That is normal. That is natural. Even the Son of God felt it for whatever the reasons he did at that moment. And so what we have here is a demonstration that Jesus clearly cared he sympathized, he empathized, he wasn't calloused to the situation nor hard-hearted. He was moved. He is, he is emotionally moved. He cares. In this entire story, we have this idea that Jesus cares enough, and this is hard for some of the younger believers to understand, but this is a truism that you who are mature need to help others to get a hold of. Jesus cares enough to allow his disciples to go through a situation like this, a horrible situation, a painful situation, to increase their faith. Jesus cared that much that he would allow them. The fact is, it is hard to let someone you love to go through a difficult moment, even though you know it will help them in the long run. As a parent, you know this is true. As a parent, we've had those situations too where our children, very young, they have to go to the doctor and they wail and they, they don't want the shot. Or as I've shared with you before, when one of our children needed x-rays, they couldn't sit still for them. They had to be strapped to a board. They were crying. They were wailing. They were calling for mom and dad to come and rescue them from, from that room where they were taking the x-rays. But it was for their good. Even our older children, there's times as they get older. I remember one of the most heart-wrenching moments that we had was when we took one of our kids to college. It happened to be the daughter that we would often say, the unnamed one, who when she went to college, her initial reaction when we were dropping her off was, please don't leave me here. Laying on her bed there, my wife said she was crying and sobbing, don't leave me here. Please don't leave me here. I want to go home. But for her good, she needed to stay and to go through that experience, which to this day she would look back and say it was good. It turned out all for, for the glory of God. Listen, Jesus allows us to go through some difficult times 
this difficult time. Jesus allows some of you to lose out on some, some situations that others didn't lose out on. Graduations, different types of weddings, different type of job opportunities. Some of you have even lost some of that income. He's not indifferent. He's not calloused. He cares. He absolutely cares. His care is not a pampering, but a perfecting love. And he is perfecting you if you respond right. Jesus knows. Jesus cares. Jesus is aware of what all that you're doing. And then let's bring you to the third truth that will help you in your belief. It is this. Jesus works. I was going to put Jesus cures just to help it to sound and maybe you want to write it that way. But he's working. Jesus works in these difficult times. Let me, let me demonstrate what I mean by that. <clears throat> in this story, Jesus may work slower than what you expect. We, we expect him to respond right away. We expect Jesus to give us answers, to restore situations and difficulties and remove them immediately. But like Job of old, who was in his trial for months, if you recall, there wasn't an immediate response. There wasn't an immediate relief. Sometimes, like in this story, Jesus purposely delayed so as to bring greater glory to God. And God, God and Jesus in his working may delay in your life. You know, let me just point out, there's one thing you will never read in the Gospels. If you read a story about us, if you read biographies, if somebody were to write about you and me, a lot of us, would, there would be this comment, they hurried. But never will you find that about Jesus. One pastor I was, that I was referring to, this idea, he was commenting that one of his senior saints in his church said that if he had to go back and, and talk to the senior saint saying, when I go back and talk to my kids and ask them, what was a phrase I used a lot as a parent? They said, his kids told him, it was the phrase, hurry up, hurry up. I think that's true of a lot of us. That a lot of our life is, hurry up, hurry up, everybody, move it. Jesus never did that. Jesus, in perfect control, he worked on his schedule. He knew God's schedule. He was able to do that. And many times, he knew that slowing down was better for those involved. Slowing down so they could process. Slowing down so they could not be reactionary. And think this through. Slowing down is good for us at times. He works in a way that the disciples didn't understand. Mary and Martha didn't understand. They believe they love him. There's no doubt they love him. We've read that multiple times that, that you know, they labored. We read about Martha coming out and talking with him and being gracious towards him. But both of them, which I, leads me to believe they had this conversation together, both of them say the exact same thing. They say, if you had been here, my brother had not died. What do they mean by that? Are they saying that you would have healed him and assume that? Are they saying that they needed Jesus short distance rather than long distance? They didn't understand. Even though John 4, he healed at a great distance. Are they saying that, that Jesus, you know, just, he had to work the way they expected? It's implied. It's there that, they, that, that he didn't do quite what they expected him to do. But he was working. 
but he was working. In fact, that conversation with Martha is very interesting, where he says, when she says, you know, if, if you had been here, my brother had not died, but I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask. Um, some people, some people, look at verse 22, but I know that even now, whatsoever you, you will ask of God, God will give it. There are many who say, well, she expected him to raise Lazarus from the dead. I don't think so. She expected a miracle. I don't think so. Because later on when Jesus says, roll away the stone, who's the one that says, wait a minute. He's been there for four days. His body already stinks. It's Martha. Martha is just simply saying, Lord, if you had been here, but I know that you have a unique walk with God. And, I, and I'm not losing my faith. I'm not losing my confidence in you. I, I'm not losing, I'm not going to walk away from you. I'm not going to be angry. Even though you didn't work the way I wanted, I'm not going to say, that's it, I'm done with Jesus. She's very clearly just saying, I'm still going to be your follower. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be walking with you because you have unique teaching. You are close to the Father, and I want that closeness through you. So she's, um, she is having faith, exercising faith, but there is some of this, not a super saint, a little bit of doubt. And Jesus obviously wants her to move further. He wants her to grow further. That's why he says at the end of verse 26, do you believe this? He's trying to move her and take this situation to help her to grow. And so he asks her, the, he makes the comment, not ask, he makes the comment, your brother shall rise again. You see that in verse 23. Her response is, yes, I believe that doctrinally. I believe that there's going to be a future resurrection. She makes the comment. I know that he shall rise on the last day. Jesus wants to move her even further in her understanding and her trust in him. And he makes the comment, I am the resurrection and the life. Believes in He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he's saying, it's me. It's me. You, you believe me, but really believe me. Really trust me. Beyond just a theological fact. Trust me with your whole heart. And he makes it very clear. In some doctrinal sense. He makes it clear that believers who die physically. Don't die in the fact that. He that believes in me. Though he were dead. Yet he shall live. Lazarus is alive. In paradise. People when, we, when, when believers die. They continue to live. He makes that clear. He makes it clear. He's the one who provides unending life. Beyond death. He makes it clear that he is the one who will bring about the physical resurrection, which will be the ultimate completion of what we are expected to experience in God's kingdom. Not just a spiritual life with him, but a physical spiritual life with him when all of creation and our bodies are renewed. He makes it clear that believers never stop living because of him even if they exit this world. So he's making all these facts clear, and then he asks her, do you, emphatic, do you believe this, Martha? More than just there's going to be a future resurrection. Do, are you trusting me right now for what's going on in your brother's life and in your life? Do you believe? And she responds. Her response is very clearly, yea, Lord, I have believed, and I continue to believe. And then she adds some statements here that are very important. She says, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. And so she gives him all this due. Great text. Wonderful text about who Jesus is and fully accepting him as his word. But in a few moments, when they're at the graveside, Lord, hold it, hold it. You know, wait, he stinks. 
And so Jesus is trying to build her up. He's trying to grow. And yet she's going to be surprised in just a few moments. So Jesus works, not in the timing that we often think, not in the way that we often think, but he works very clearly restoring her hope by giving her words that she can grab onto and hold onto in the days ahead, which he has done to you. Giving us his word. Giving us his promise. Explaining clearly what he meant by this sickness is not unto death. And so he gives the word that helps us. He resuscitates her brother. Lazarus come forth and he comes out of the grave. Now what a moment for that family, huh? You, you know how, you, how that would feel if all of a sudden you experienced that loved one coming up out of the, out of the deathbed or the casket. Oh, man, these sisters had to be elated. But he also cures works by redeeming the neighbors. I read it already. Many of the Jews which came to them had seen the things that Jesus did. They believed on him. The point is God can use anything. He can use any situation to draw people unto himself, believers as well as unbelievers. God can work that way. But what you and I need to do is to pray like Jesus did. Pray, Father, use this. Father, use this. Use, use me in a way that in the middle of the trial, others can come to greater belief. It brings me to the, this thought. That as we wrap down, oh, I should add this. Not everyone believes, by the way. If you read the remainder of the chapter, there are some who, who are still convinced he needs to be destroyed, the Jewish leaders. They're the ones who asked for a great sign. What greater sign could he have given? They, they had statements have been made earlier in the Gospels. If somebody comes back from the grave, then we would believe. Such hard-hearted people, they didn't believe. But here's where we're at. We're at a spot that that you and I, we need to respond in our trials to help advance the gospel. We need to conduct ourselves the way Jesus did, how he was working with the disciples to help advance the gospel, to help grow in faith. And so I close with this idea, you know, what do we do? How do we act at this moment? How do we help advance for the glory of God, the gospel and belief in hearts of others and in ourselves? Well, number one, honestly ask God to point out areas in your life where you need to grow. Honestly, say, Lord, please show me. Show me how to develop greater whatever, patience, godliness, holiness, prayer life. Ask yourself, what does his word say? Am I believing his words? Martha, believest thou this? Do you really believe what I'm telling you, that I am Examine your conduct in your words. Examine yourself. Are you enhancing the gospel before others or by your anxiety at this moment? By your angst at this moment? Are you displaying a trust in Christ that would draw others to listen to the gospel, to listen to your faith? Or are your words in moments filled with such upsetness and anger and angst and anxiety that people around you, they have no reason to believe what you believe because there's no peace being displayed. There's no contentment being displayed. There's no confidence being displayed that God knows what he's doing. 
You and I need to turn to Christ in faith even when things aren't changing as quickly as we need, we want them to. You and I need to believe his promises when circumstances don't look like it's being fulfilled the way that we think he should. You and I need to not get upset over the disappointments that are coming, over the trials that we're experiencing, that we say, that's it, I'm done. Now, you and I need to take advantage of these moments that we use them to display our faith, our confidence, our trust in God Almighty. And use them as an opportunity to share the gospel, to give out a witness of Jesus Christ. One of our heroes of our church, one of our founding members passed away, I'm going to say a couple of years ago, it's, to me a couple of years, 10 years, could be that time. But she lived right over here. Skip. She sat right over there. Skip was a member here for all those years and she had such a desire to witness to her neighbors. One time, she was talking to one of her neighbors next door and who had moved in and she was just visiting with them and their small little dog bit her and drew blood. That older couple felt so bad, so upset that their dog, who never bites, attacked Skip and drew blood. And they said, whatever you want, whatever. She says, well, listen, um, tell you what, do you, with your apology, would you do me a favor? They said, anything. She said, would you go to church with me? <laughs> she invited them to church. The couple came. The man got saved. Found out that the wife had been saved years before, but hadn't really shared her faith with her, this, her second husband. But he got born again. Skip was one of those wise people that knew how to use circumstances to try, try to share her faith. Now, I'm not advocating go out and get bit today. But if something is coming up in your life, use the opportunity to share the gospel. You and I need to remember these facts. They're very simple. God knows. God cares. God cures. That's the Lord that we serve this morning. We need to trust in him. We need to rely upon him. There was a, there's a true story that comes out of the 1930s. One of those huge blimps, 250 people holding it down. All of a sudden, a gust of wind takes it up. Some let go because they couldn't hang on. Others were pulled up into the air, and then they dropped. <coughs> Some were taken high into the air. They fell and were injured. There was one man who hung on for 45 minutes before the blimp was able to get back down where they could grab it. When they got to the ground, they asked him, how could he hang on for 45 minutes? His response was, I didn't hang on. I wrapped the rope around myself and let the rope hold me. You need to wrap yourself in the word of God and in your faith in God and let him hold you. Hold you fast through this bumpy ride that we're going right now. Father, help us to trust you, help us to rely upon you, help us to believe, to believe the way you wanted Mary to believe. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.